Women make up nearly 50% of all gamers, yet only a small percentage of women play esports professionally. It's time to figure out how to change that. The Knights want to empower women to build their esports empire. Along with our partner PNC Bank, we are adamant about creating a more equitable future for gamers. There is no one-size-fits-all solution, so we'll be tackling the issue from all angles, featuring insights from a variety of subject matter experts and professionals. I'm Captain Shields Moon with the Knights. Welcome to the Women in Esports podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode six of the Women in Esports podcast presented by the Knights and PNC Bank. If you haven't checked out the last episode yet, you're missing out. You need to go check it out right now, like literally right now. But today I am so excited to talk about one of my favorite topics because it is so important. And I don't think that we talk about it enough as people, but certainly not as gamers. So today's episode is titled, It's Dangerous to Go Alone, Take This a conversation about mental health for gamers. And I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming Dr. Sarah Hayes as our guest today. Hello, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. And we're gonna dive right in so folks can get to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your background and how you got involved with Take This? Sure, so when I started, um doctoral school, I decided to study video games as a specialty, even though my doctorate is in counseling psychology. So I was on a trajectory if I followed the traditional format of schooling to just be a therapist for the entire career that I was forming. Um, but I, of course, being a gamer, I'm passionate about the topic of gaming. And so I wanted to pursue understanding about um, identity and uh, games that we play. So I started forming my dissertation around it. And then I got connected in with some some now um, very, very fond colleagues that I have that I reached out to them on a whim, hoping maybe they'd see my email and consider responding um, how they formed a survey. And thus we all got connected, started doing PAX panels. And that's how I met Dr. B. Um, if you haven't heard of Dr. B, he's the clinical director of Take This. He's a glorious human. He does amazing work and he's just so passionate about mental health and, and the games industry and community. Um, we actually started off our relationship sitting next to each other as strangers, arguing about who the best Avenger is on a panel about morals and video games, and then the connection was built from there. Um, so then from there, I've been doing clinical contributions, anywhere from planning and hosting um, panels for Take This to um, writing the State of the Industry white paper, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Uh, doing various projects, working on workshops and presenting them. So various content, but um, I'm certainly attached to take this and really thrilled to be working there. No, and from what I saw online, take this and, and yourself doing amazing work and I can't wait to dive into it a little bit more. So just to continue to level set for our audience, uh, can you tell us about take this and how it came to be? Absolutely. So Take This was actually founded in 2012 as a Tumblr page. Um, oddly enough, back for those of us who remember Tumblr, um, but it's uh, an organization that was founded after um, the unfortunate passing of a journalist, a games journalist who took their own life. Um, and after he passed, a few of his colleagues and friends decided we need to be better and do better in games. And so they started this organization to educate and help reduce the stigma about mental health and mental illness in the games industry and community. And we've grown from there. And now um, we have 
pivoted a bit into um, offering support, helping elevate mental health awareness and um, doing trainings and workshops in the industry, as well as looking at how burnout impacts the industry all the way over to reach out, reaching out with the community and doing work there, offering services like our AFK room, which is the most boring room at the convention by design, where it's a room devoid of any kind of input in order for people to be able to get an emotional and mental break from the convention floor. It's fully staffed with licensed clinicians for all of the open hours that it exists. And um, it's meant to be a quiet space, not for naps, but just for relaxing. So all kinds of things. I was hitting the convention circuit uh, in the gaming and esports industry. I definitely could have used an AFK room. There's there's something <laughs> about having to be on for people and your face hurts and you're exhausted and you have to be up like, uh, I can't wait to dive into that a little bit later. Um, so just for those out there, they're like, oh, I don't understand why gaming and the gaming industry needs to focus on mental health. Isn't mental health just mental health? Like, can we talk about that a little bit? Like. Why does, sure. what unique needs exist in the gaming community? So in the community itself, there's a lot of stigma around, I mean, it's hard to really pin down exactly what it is underneath what causes mental illness. Sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's related to social factors. We all know the negative impacts of social media from time to time. Not that it's the worst thing in the world. The games industry lives on Twitter, but Presence on social media has has effects on our mental and emotional well-being, especially when there's circumstances where there's bullying, there's trolling, there's targeting. Um, and in games in particular, that can get really toxic really fast. When we branch into esports, that's also abundantly true. There's a lot of pressure on competitors. There's a lot of pressure on teams and coaches. Um, and that one outlet through that is social media, but then broad scale, just the, the wherever communities are gathering, um, there's there can be things that go awry. And, and when those social interactions go awry, those dynamics, it it can be harmful and toxic to individuals' emotional and mental well-being. And so I think that it's partially about reducing the stigma portrayed in games, perpetuated in gaming language, like we use so many words like crazy or insane all the time um, when they are in a way slanderous to the mental illness and mental health community. Um, and it's, it's just so embedded in our culture that while it exists beyond the games community, it's also really important to address it in the games community because it is a group where, you know, a lot of, a lot of geeks and gamers feel like they can't, they can't connect or feel among a, a group of like-minded people in other places, but gaming is a place we can all converge. And so making that a healthy place and a supportive place for people is, is part of why we care so much about it. So no, those are all excellent points. And to, to piggyback off of what you just said about social media and just the online community and the nature of gaming itself, um, the pandemic, like talk about, putting like added stress on just everyday existence. Oh my gosh. Um, the, the gaming industry and the esports industry has boomed, you know, while people have been at home and looking for outlets and ways to connect. Um, has there been any like insight or, or patterns that have emerged uh, from the pandemic when it comes to mental health and gaming? 
So I think it's interesting, right? Because if you paid attention to, and this is actually coming back up in the academic community, but um, the World Health Organization created like, video game addiction as a diagnosis, and they were saying, this is a bad thing, be careful. And then when the pandemic hit, gaming became an emotional outlet. It became a way for us to experience safe and measured escapism, which many of us who play games enjoy it for, not in an unhealthy way, but in, you know, in, in a normal way. Um, at, and at the same time, it also offered a way to connect with people in a fun, lighthearted way, or even in a competitive and, and enjoyable way um, without crossing those safety boundaries. And so quickly, um, those who were saying don't play video games is bad for your mental health all of a sudden were retracting and saying video games can be a great way to connect let's let's play video games together and get through this and so i think that that pivoted a lot of the narrative globally around video games when we had few other outlets um, but i will say that for a lot of people gaming was a lifeline through the pandemic whether or not they're playing it with other people uh, it's it's something that many of us enjoy in our spare time when we're not working or taking care of responsibilities, and that's no less true during a pandemic. In fact, many people showed an increase in, in game play frequency because there's very else little to do. So I think that it was it was something that a lot of us benefited from through that experience, and even as we're still kind of figuring out what our new normal is going to be in that experience. Absolutely. And what you just said is such a great observation. Absolutely true. Um, it brings to mind an article I read not so long ago, and I am totally blanking on his name and the publication. <laughs> Shame on me. Um, but it was a wonderful article around mental health and how uh, this, this phenomenon of languishing is what they called it they said that that's the mm. the vibe of 2020 and it's not like in his words i'm paraphrasing um it wasn't big enough to be like i think i have a really big problem and i really need to seek help but it wasn't nothing you know it was this weird space of i don't feel motivated to do anything I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just kind of drifting through my day. The things that bring me joy used to, they just don't anymore. And I'm just in this mm -hmm. weird nebulous gray blob. And in his TED talk, he said that Mario Kart is the thing that brought him out of that. You know, so oh, I gosh. think you're absolutely right. Like he's Mario Kart of all things. And he was like, when we would put the kids to bed, you know, we'd play across the family. Then me and my wife, we would go out, bust out some wine and continue playing Mario Kart adult time. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, so, gaming is so powerful, um, and I love that the narrative is changing. You know, and it's 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 interesting that sometimes the worst situations can bring out such meaningful positive growth. So, no excellent points. I am so excited to dig into the rest of our program. I have so many questions <laughs> for you. It's so exciting. Um, so, speaking of the paper that you were talking about, the state of the industry white paper. Um, yes. read through it and I love, love, love how it touched upon issues that people who work in the gaming industry are facing um, and some of the concerns and stressors, um, even toxic environments that, that they're dealing with. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about why was a paper like this necessary and some interesting findings from it? Yeah, so this paper was written um, 
it was definitely a work of a labor of love and passion from us um, when we were looking at what's really happening to the industry. There's there's an annual release by um, the Games Development Conference where they'll talk about the demographics, the direction they see the industry going, and various different things. It's always a very info-heavy, fascinating survey to read, but there's never been a mental health state of the industry. And so um, we undertook this project trying to consider what are the what are the aspects of burnout, which is an overwhelming problem in the games industry. Anytime you have an industry where um, it's a passion project, it's something that you join because you care about it, you'll find a burnout more present and more encouraged often in those environments because it's it's you care about it. You want to make it the best it can be. And then there's this whole stress of timelines that I'm not going to get into in this moment. But burnout was one of the primary things we're hearing from from the games industry both colloquially and then and then in like networking and work with colleagues. And so in the paper, we broke down how um, specific industry trends have negatively impacted the mental health of its employees and leaders. And, and we, we really found that game development is a, is a career that demands so much for the employees and it really struggles with like job stability is one of the most frequent issues. You'll see places doing better about this, um, like having no layoff policies or having certain policies because, I mean, game developers, broad scope, have a lot of job turnover, whether it's from burnout or issues in the industry. Like there's a lot of issues in the industry that I'm not going to directly call out in this moment, but like are very present in the news at the time of this recording. And um it's it's just kind of a constant thing you'll see if you're paying attention to the industry news. So I mean, from burnout to harassment and struggles with with dynamics to um, being able to maintain the emotional bandwidth to stay in the industry. Most most developers at the time of our publication um, were were like sixty six percent or two thirds of them couldn't stay in the industry beyond ten years. So it, it's a very heavy burnout industry um, crunch is also a study problem burnout is where you literally become so stressed on a on a consistent basis on an ongoing basis that you stop having as much motivation or interest or care about your job or other things you you deal with various potential mental illnesses um crunches where we're trying to meet that heavy deadline and we're, and we're cramming we're trying to do everything we can it's the super long work days it's the 80 hour work weeks um and and that's pretty pretty common um and, and we also found that like only 20 percent of our survey was women in the industry there's a, there's a it's a male-dominated industry it's also a, a heavily white industry um two-thirds of, of the survey respondents were white as well um there's a there's a distinct lap, lack of representation from most identities from our survey recipients. Um, and so I think that that's another issue that we confronted in that paper was that, hey, there's this ongoing issue of representation and that's that's not new news in the games industry, right? We've talked about that in the community and in the industry with things like Gamergate and dealing with discrimination and exclusion in a variety of ways. And so that's something that we also found was mirrored in, in the dev space. And when we've talked to um, 
we've talked to devs and industry professionals like at, at PAX. I will always submit this panel. I have submitted this panel most times on, on behalf of Take This. Um, pretty much every convention I can go to pre and like ongoing now that pandemic is kind of we are where we are. I can't say post-pandemic, but you know, we're life is continuing, whether or not we're ready for it. Um, I have continued to submit this panel of, of Am I Geek Enough? And I, I've hosted several industry professionals and, and they and it's for people of marginalized genders. And so they'll sit down and say, like, I was told you just have to deal with the harassment or various things of that nature. And so it's not a welcoming place for people um, unless you fit that dominant narrative. Um, and so I think that that is, is an ongoing difficult issue. We also found that the public perception of games is a, is a hindrance for game developers, although we are making a second iteration of this paper. Um, it is currently in development. We are in the finalizing stages, so we're going to publish an updated version, which I'm so excited about because I think that's going to have a little bit of information that's different for the public reception of games because of what we just talked about. Um, so I think some of this is going to be shifting, especially with the Me Too movements in gaming and, and all of the things that have been happening of recent, where we're really looking with a really strong microscope at what's happening and how do we make this culture better. Um, so that's, that's kind of an overarching findings of that first paper in 2019. Um, and that's, that's the work we did. Ah. That's exciting. I can't wait for the second iteration. <laughs> I was reading it. I felt so seen in that paper. I'm like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was a, it was published in 2019. Was it? Yes. Or, yeah. So, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to read the updated version. Like um, from the new edition, uh, the new information, excuse me, that you were talking about, you know, and just yeah. the, the good it can do. So we're going to drop the link to that paper um, below. And of course you can find the links to take this and to um, if you want to keep tabs on all the great work that Dr. Hayes is doing, we'll have those links as well. Um, but okay. definitely check it out. It's worth a read. Um, you know, grab a cup of coffee or tea or a Mountain Dew or whatever and just <laughs> dig in. It's worth it. Um, so I would love to talk about some of the programming uh, that take this uh, run. So um, I did see that, yes, you are speaking all over the place at all these great <laughs> conferences. And I'm like, how did I not even? I'm pretty sure we were probably in the same convention hall. And oh, I'm yeah. like, I had no idea how much I needed to meet you earlier. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> or at least well, I'm so glad we're meeting now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so oh it's just funny. Because gaming, it's like, it's a big industry, but it's a really, really small pond. Like, once you get yes, into it. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about programming. Like yes. I love the AFK room and you talked about it a little bit already. So please tell us all the juicy details about that. And if yes. you are a conference organizer, event organizer, you attend events, what you need to champion for this program <laughs> at your place. So Sarah, take yes. it away. <laughs> yes. So what I will say, if you are one of those individuals um, and you need some convincing, first of all, having an AFK room at a convention um, from the data we've seen has been incredibly beneficial. We have seen thousands of people come through the AFK rooms over time in our um, in our conventions every time we, we host them. 
and uh, have received such good feedback that it's so needed and people are so grateful that it exists. But as as stated a little bit earlier, as I teased, it is the the most boring room in the convention by design. So what you won't find in there are posters, lights, music, advertisements, other than a small little table in the entry that says our information. So if you're like, what is take this and how do I, whatever. There's that, but that's about it. And, and then um, at least in pre-pandemic, we're starting our first AFK room back in action live at PAX Unplugged. Um, and so it might look a little bit different from what I'm about to describe. But in the before times, we had coloring um, pages from various collaborators. Um, like we have coloring pages from Idol Champions on the table that come with like crayons and coloring pencils on the tables. And then it's staffed by licensed clinicians for the opening and operating hours of the AFK room. So anytime you're there and if there's something stressful or something going on, um, there's someone to talk to and it's not just Joe or Jim who's hanging out at the convention. It's actually someone who knows how to handle those conversations. Um, and it's very quiet, hushed voices only, no cell phones, no parties. Now, on the other hand, no napping, um, but it is meant to be a place to just kind of decompress, chill out. If you want to sit and just be quiet, hang out, take five minutes and literally just breathe, you can absolutely do that. And that's what that's there for. So very proud of that AFK. Should be <laughs> proud of it. It's super important. And I love the name. Like, and I mean, okay, I, I was going to save this until the end of the podcast, but I'm just going to bring it in now because AFK... So what does the, the name take this? Where did you, where was that drawn from? So it is, it is a loving reference to The Legend of Zelda, where in the beginning of the game, um, Link is offered a sword and says it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. And um, from our, you can, you can find our Shield of Hope, which is a little sword and shield that is uh, meant to be kind of a, Ori stone of sorts or whatever you wish to make of it um it's it's about the implied presence of this community and uplifting and support amongst one another in the in the games industry and community of of togetherness and kind of fostering that healthy place that we all come to gaming for um it's it's about that backup that link needs from his courage and his wisdom and his power with his sword so uh it's very much a loving nod I, I'm loving the loving nod. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Oh my God, yeah. there's no way. That's, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I definitely loved it. Like, all the work that, you know, Take This is doing, uh, the team is doing, and but that was the cherry on top. I'm like, yep, here we go. All right. Um, another really cool program that caught my attention is the ambassador program. Um, it's really important. Can you tell us more about that and how it came to be? Yeah. So the ambassador program started just a few years ago, um, and it was to highlight streamers who are wonderful representations of our mission. Um, the mission of our ambassador program is actually to leverage the power of social connection and streaming to decrease that stigma and increase support for mental health in games. So I think that it very much mirrors the mission of take this as a whole because remove some of the streamer language and that's that's our mission. Um, but it's it's about highlighting streamers who really live that. Um, and so ambassadors. Um, uh, uh, if you find some of our streaming ambassadors, you'll see a lot of them have like 
the text commands with the exclamation mark of like exclamation mark take this or um, have various connections to show their affiliation we give them badges and, and different things for their pages and logos um, but they are offered in our program um, various supports they're offered an exclusive community amongst themselves to be able to have support in that internal way. Um, they also are offered trainings and various things. We're still forming some of that, so it's very much in flux. Um, and, and we're building out a, a streamer toolkit. So there's there's just a bunch of things happening that are offered to our streaming ambassadors. Um, and thanks for them being wonderful and influential um, in their positive, supportive way. That's amazing. And, um... I don't stream, but can I sign up to be an ambassador? <laughs> I will start streaming today because I mean, it's so important. Like one of my yeah. favorite streamers have that welcoming, like this is a safe space. Like we're not going to tolerate any toxicity. Everybody respects everybody. And it's just a welcoming, chill environment. You know, those are my some of my favorite types of channels and streamers to yeah. follow. So if you like, that's amazing. Um, love the ambassador program. I think that's so important. Okay, so switching tax just for a second. Okay. Um, knowing that the needs of different groups, are, they, you know, the needs vary depending on who you're talking to from a mental health standpoint. Um, a lot of us struggle with the same, same things, but the stressors that trigger certain emotions they might be different from place to place. So seeing mm -hmm. as we are as an, an esports organization, wanted to spend a little bit of time showing some love to our esports pro players and industry staff. So in the world of esports, what unique challenges face aspiring or professional players that you've seen in your research and observation? Sure. So um, I would say that, first of all, the research out there on um, on esports and mental health is pretty slim. Um, both myself and, and a dear colleague who um, I work with over at Queer Women of Esports, uh, we haven't we haven't found much out there. Uh, <laughs> and I think that that is definitely changing and growing, but it's still fairly new. But what I can say is there, it's sort of like the Wild West. Of, of an industry. Esports is relatively new and, and the regulations therein uh, create a structure where people often feel left out. People of um, various identities of marginalized genders, marginalized identities feel left out or excluded, um, judged, unwelcome. So that that is a problem that is very deserving of attention and tackling as well as um, ongoing pressure and stress there's some of that crunch and burnout that we'll see especially in in the athletes and the coaches and the teams where competition is everything and how do you keep your sponsorships how do you keep your funding how do you win and keep your place on your team but to win and so there's that pressure to constantly practice constantly compete health is not of focus mental health is not of focus physical health is not of focus and i think that that is abundantly underserved um, for teams one of the best things you can do for your team and i know this is a biased statement but i'm going to say it anyway one of the best things you can do for your team is having a mental health advisor along for the ride because beyond just the the average age of an esports competitor um let alone the the average age of individuals in the industry is usually pretty young um 
and having the normal mental health situations that occur at those ages and development that happens at those ages, especially especially for collegiate or minor uh, competitors, having that stability, having a healthy conversation and adults to rely upon can be so influential in a positive and healthy way. Um, having a, a, a conversation about how to talk to your teammates about it, being able to talk to your teammates, your coaches, your teams about it. And as an industry, being able to talk about what we're witnessing. I mean, the, the suicide rate of competitors, let alone individuals in the industry, is is really astronomical. Um, and this is a this is a matter I think we could absolutely tackle head on with the right kinds of support in the industry. And clearly I get really passionate about it. Apologies, I'm on my soapbox. No, <laughs> um, no. But I think if there's nothing else you can take away from this podcast, for those of you in the esports industry and community, when's the last time you stretched? When's the last time you checked your posture? When's the last time you had a glass of water, looked away from a screen, took a break? Do those things, have something healthy to eat, and it will make a world of difference in your ability to perform, to play, to engage, to work, all of it. Um, we undersell ergonomics, we undersell mental health, and I think those are such important factors to our ability to play, to compete, and to work in this industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're not taking care of yourself, <laughs> now is a perfect time to start before it's too yes. late, you know. Invest right. in you. Invest in you. Yes. So I love that you just delivered like this nice package of advice, you know, to our <laughs> esports pros. So I'm going to continue that thread um, okay. and kind of go through some of the things that you highlighted. So like burnout, um, social media and online community, and just kind of rapid, not rapid fire, like it doesn't have to be like a one word answer, but okay. I'm going to go down the list and I would love to know like what people can do to be better or better themselves or just help themselves if they sure. feel like they're dealing with this particular situation, okay? Before we do that, I'm just gonna throw yeah. out there that to our darling listeners, I am not your therapist. If I am your therapist, please don't put it in the comments and none of this is clinical advice. <laughs> no, that's an excellent <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Nope. And we can definitely add something to the beginning of the episode if you would feel comfortable or in the description. So we can definitely sure. do that. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. So coping mechanisms is coping are coping mechanisms a good thing, actually. That's a question that I have. It or coping mechanisms I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. Can I can I take a a guess? Sure, um, yes. <laughs> so coping mechanisms are neither good nor bad. They're just something we do as humans. And so okay. um, sometimes they're not so great. Sometimes we will have anxiety about a competition and in response, we'll overpractice. It's sort of like cramming in college. There's a certain point of no return where you're not going to gather as much and you're actually just making yourself overtired. So this is the same when it comes to preparing for competition. If you're playing 16 hours, your body's not going to be right. Your, your head's not going to be right. You're not going to be in the place you need. So a coping mechanism to anxiety can be good or bad. Now, that being said, having a good set of choices of behaviors and mechanisms that you can use to your advantage, absolutely fantastic. 
thank you so much for pulling that information out of my caffeine lacking brain. Like you're amazing. Yes. All right. That's exactly what I was like. I'm like, I know I have the words to ask this question, but it's just not happening right now. So, okay. So you said set of behaviors and tools to, okay. I like that a lot. It's all about that balance. It's all about that balance. (laughs) That's great. All right. So we are going to go over positive sets of behaviors and tools that people can use to to overcome or deal with a situation, some of the situations that you talked about. So let's start with just being on social media and online. Like that's a huge part of gaming. Um, if this is a stressor for somebody, what can they do? So it's not it's not the popular answer. This is kind of like telling people to brush their teeth, right? But regulating the amount of time you spend on social media, um, don't follow someone that makes you feel terrible don't follow a team or a group that makes you feel terrible if you need to know what's going on with that group have a friend or a parent or anybody outside of you follow them and then have them tell you things that you need to know you don't need to be the direct recipient of that information if that source makes you feel terrible um and you are the ambassador of your own peace. So like being able to regulate that and have that source to the people and places and things that make you feel okay is really important because it's your account. Um, also, don't feed the trolls. I mean, I feel like this that's kind of a 101 answer, but um, it's always good advice of Sometimes if the comments are bad, just, just sign off with social media for the day and go do something else that makes you feel better. Play with your dog play a game, do something else, hug your mom, I don't know, um, <laughs> take a walk, um, because social media is is a place where we all, you know, kind of shout into the void every once in a while, and there's a lot of shouting, and there's a lot of void right now, so being able to regulate that for yourself is really important, um, and at the same time, don't, uh, don't hesitate being on there if it does make you feel great, if it makes you feel connected, and, um, I think I'll refer back to that first thing I said of like, it's all about the balance between these things. Sometimes our coping mechanism is to doom scroll on Twitter and that's just not effective. So. No, that's absolutely, that's a great point. What was it? There's a, I'm probably going to mess this up. Saying it's like, um, (laughs) you stare into the void too long, the void will stare back at you or in you or some, it'll be there like, hey fam, what's up? And like, that is so true when it comes to social media. So no, that is amazing. Um, Let's talk about burnout. So for our industry professionals that are feeling burnt out, what can they do? So, I mean, if taking a vacation was the solution to burnout, I feel like I I wouldn't have job security, unfortunately. (laughs) I hate having job (laughs) security in that sense, but. Um, so, I mean, while vacations can be useful, I think having on a systemic level, on, on an employment level, from top down, expectations that are reasonable and um, they're regulated and there's structure to it so that if people need time off, they can take time off. If people need help, there's support for them to get help that they need. There's no shame. There's no stigma. There's resources there. Um, I think it's also about setting the expectations from managerial level down, especially for like coaches. You set the bar for your players. You set the bar for your competitors. You set the bar for the rest of the team. So being able to say, I'm not working on a Saturday afternoon if we're doing normal work hours and it's just practices. 
Um, and that's okay. And I'll get back to you on Monday, but thanks for the note, but we're not working right now. So go and enjoy your life and don't feel pressure or in your email signatures. Hey, my normal hours are these times. Um, if it's outside of these times and I respond, please understand that it is exceptional and that I will typically get back to you during my work hours, especially in a, in a, in a industry right now where we're mostly online, it's really easy to be constantly in and plugged in and working, but having those boundaries is absolutely essential to being able to avoid burnout. When burnout happens, taking breaks, getting support, um, spending time doing other things so you can kind of develop that sense of self and passion and interest and motivation back is going to be vital and it doesn't happen quickly and it's not something you can force. So um, it's kind of like tendonitis, right? We, we overuse those tendons and eventually the tendon is gonna shout back. Um, we have to rest it and give it much more time than we want to and then eventually it's ready to be used again. So avoiding it is much easier than healing it. Um, so I think from top down, proactive is the way to go and being able to set standards and expectations from everybody throughout the entirety of the system is going to be your best bet. Yep, that's sound advice if I ever heard it. Um, sound <laughs> guidance, not even advice. Like just if you're not listening, listen. And if you didn't hear anything that was said, go and repeat this from the beginning and really listen. Um, so on kind of piggybacking, they might kind of be in the same realm. Um, so uh, burnout as emotional bandwidth or a lack thereof um are there is it kind of the same principles for both or is there a little bit of difference there i think there's nuance there i think emotional bandwidth is something that we run out of when we're feeling burned out you'll see people have um faster tempers and struggle more with mood sometimes or various like emotional dysregulation when they're burned out because we're stressed out we're tired we don't want to do anything related to the thing we're asked to do. Um, but there's also something to be said about emotional bandwidth when it comes to like pressure and competition. And when those are so vital in competitive gaming, it's really quick and easy to get stuck in like, well, but I have to do the thing. And so even if you don't have the emotional bandwidth, you're engaging in a way that's not healthy for you. Um, so consent is great. When it comes to emotional bandwidth, it's like, hey, do you have the bandwidth to just have this conversation with me or like, do you feel up for this? And those kinds of conversations actually bolster morale and are shown to help teams feel better about and like individuals and people, humans feel better about engaging in the thing that they're trying to do. So doing a little bit of checking in and asking consent and having those structural conversations before you have the actual meat of the conversation can be incredibly protective because then it also offers the opportunity for somebody to be like, actually, you know what? I don't. I'm dealing with a loss. I'm dealing with stress. I'm feeling really worried about how I'm going to outperform my competitor tomorrow. Then all of a sudden you can pivot to the actual issue going on, help them develop some emotional bandwidth as a result of the conversation, and then be able to tackle the thing you're trying to tackle. Oh gosh, that's that's such a great point. And you're right, you know, it's not always, the onus isn't always on the person to fix something. Right. You know, sometimes just reaching out and asking a question, especially in a supervisor role, it can make such a difference. I know that that, mm -hmm. in my personal career, that's something I've had to kind of wrap my head around is the first time my boss was like, so how's your workload? How are you feeling about your bandwidth? Are you, you know, are you feeling okay? And I'm like, am I about to get fired? Do you think I'm doing a bad job? Like what is happening? And she's like, no, 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 no. Like everything's fine. 
fine. I just want to make sure you're fine, you know, so that we can just keep things rolling. But if not, and it's, it was such a weird thing for me because it's like nobody's ever asked. My mom asked me that, but nobody else yep. asked me that. It's like, <laughs> but it oh is, it's so important, you know, and it's made a world of difference because I feel like I have a place where I can say, like, I'm a very people. I'm, I love people talking to mm -hmm. people, meeting people, being out around people. So the pandemic was like death to me. It was terrible. I was like, oh, by myself, I can't go and see anybody. This is terrible. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so I was really having a hard time working remotely. And the fact that that was a part of our conversation and she went and implemented like a virtual coffee break, you know, for the team yes. so that we could Beautiful. have that interaction. That. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Sorry to get Sorry. off my little anecdote, nope. but like it's that is, important. Like <laughs> that is a masterclass in how to handle that transition, and I'm glad that that was part of your team because I think that that's something so sorely missed when we did that transition. People expected just like equitable performance and productivity, and it's like no, 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 no. <laughs> that's not what's happening here, and we need to be able to connect. We need to be able to regulate. I mean, in, within the staff of Take This, part of why I love working there so much is we have a similar system. We, one of our directors is absolutely amazing in that um, she helps coordinate all of us and keep all of us going and keeps the ship operating the way it should. And part of it is, do you actually have the bandwidth for that? Because I will tell you, for whatever reason, those of us with doctoral degrees always want to say yes, and we become balloon collectors, but we always try to float off and it's not good. So we try to regulate a little bit, but we... That culture in our staff has saved us because then we were able to spread that responsibility and address it appropriately. So, I mean, I think that's an amazing strategy. So if you own a company or you're managing a team, listen to these gems. They are so important. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So talking about like having a, a place and feeling heard, um, what about company dynamics? So if somebody, you know, is dealing with a less than ideal work environment or situation, um, me honestly it's like well get the heck out of there but that's not feasible you know for everybody due to right. you know um familial obligations um just insecurity there's a host of reasons you know otherwise i think everybody would just be like oh no i'm out of here see you later and then where would we be right. without all of our beautiful games but <laughs> right. Um, right what can somebody do um if they're if they're if they're not feeling like they're in the best place um from a cultural standpoint for sure. So first of all, I think one thing that so often we're taught in the corporate culture or like industrial culture, at least here in the U.S. is, well, just take the professional approach to it, you know, deal with it and smile. If you're feeling disrespected, you deserve the autonomy and the advocacy to be able to have respect. You should be respected in the workplace. So if you feel that in your gut, trust your gut and do something about it. Um, and also at the same time, I know that um, this is not every uh, like manager's favorite response, but unions are a fantastic thing. Organization is a fantastic thing for systemic change. Um, and it's something that can be so important to see that change come through and see that change happen. Um, and so if, if you're at a place where the culture is toxic or abusive or you feel as if you have suffered harm or there are individuals who are causing harm it's okay to reach out and see what you need to do to take care of yourself um it's it's complicated to think of how to respond of 
in the workplace, HR isn't always a safe place because HR's best interest is in the company. Um, but having someone that you feel like you can trust and go to, even if it's your skip level, even if it's your manager, even if it's a colleague, but just to kind of suss out or someone external to just kind of figure out what the proper course of action may be. Um, but don't feel like you have to shove it and contain it within yourself. Get the help you need, get the support you need, whether it's external or internal, to make sure that you can feel like you can operate within your workspace in a healthy and productive way. Yes, 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 absolutely. So um, take this is a great resource if you need help or <laughs> yes. guidance um, for any of that. Um, so definitely uh, check out the website and take advantage of all of that great information there. Um, and there's a lot of other organizations and mental health organizations just in general, you know, that will mm -hmm. help, you know, as best as they can to help navigate difficult spaces. So get the help you need, it's important. There's only one yes. you and we need you here. Um, yes. So we've talked about some internal work, um, some positive behaviors and tools that people can use to, to progress through difficult situations or just to find that balance, you know, that that's needed. What can the wider gaming community do? You know, what can we do to support people just in general to create a better environment for everybody? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things we tackle at both nonprofits I work for, right, both in the in the esports space and in the mental health general space, is how do we deal with people coming in either intentionally or unintentionally causing harm? And it's much like bullying in schools where the only way you're going to see a real cultural change other than having systems in place to prevent it from happening and having conversations about it happening like we're all trying to do um, is speaking up backing up people, reaching out to people if you've noticed that they've had a strange interaction to see how they're feeling and what's going on. But I think generally one of the biggest things that turns people off, like I, this makes me think back to those panels of Am I Geek Enough and all of the other things where this has spawned so many conversations around, I don't even want to use a headset. The last time I used my microphone was in X number of years ago because someone kept asking me about my gender or I didn't want harassment. I didn't want to be on cam because I knew they were going to give me a hard time about looking the way I look or um, clearly I can't be a competitor because this is how I present. I think being able to provide safe spaces for people to learn, develop and thrive in games, in their communities, express their opinions, and also at the same time, not allowing other people to say things that are hurtful and calling them out when it does happen. Part of, part of challenging the broad scale of, of privilege is having other people of privilege calling them out, not just the people who are oppressed or experiencing the harm. So speaking up, not, not just sitting by because also being complacent is a decision and it is an action. And so doing something about it when you see it is the most important thing that I can think of when it comes to changing the culture, but also lifting up the voices of people who, um, who are diverse, who are saying the things that are healthy, who are doing the work that is important. Um, one of the most impactful creators that I can think of in this moment is Tanya DePass, who has done such influential work, has has raised so much money for various causes and, and has such fantastic um, like approaches to and work that she does, 
her voice deserves to be lifted up. And I'm so proud of seeing it lifted up. And um, she actually came on to our board of directors at Take This recently, and I couldn't be happier. And it's just one of those things where lifting up those voices, lifting up people who deserve to be seen and heard will make a change culturally because that's where everyone is turning to to look for to form the new culture the next culture as it's evolving and then that sets the new status that sets the new base and then that's where we operate out of to yet evolve further into a healthier and more productive space oh that's great now i'm a big fan of tanya and her work you know so i saw <laughs> she was on the board i'm like wow okay yes. Yes, that's awesome <laughs> Um, no, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for all of this wonderful insight. I just have a couple more questions if you'll let me for sure. take a little of bit course. more of your time. Yeah. Um, you have shared some valuable insight information. I know that anybody who's tuned in and listening, uh, even if they did not know they needed to hear this, you know, it's going to help. So it's helped me. Like, I, Gosh, I hope so. My favorite. <laughs> So one of my favorite parts about this podcast is like, I'm here to learn, like I'm a sponge, give me all of the stuff. Um, but I do want to know, like, what is your biggest hope for mental health in the gaming industry? Like if you can mad wave a wand, mm -hmm. what would it do? I wish that it was normalized. I wish that we could talk about mental health and mental illness and have like, in in my dream world of worlds of course there would be support and everyone would be supporting and uplifting and embracing because i think half of the battle in mental illness whether it's in the gaming industry or not or the games community or not um is support around people and what what helps us kind of thrive and changes as individuals and collectives but if nothing else i want to see it normalized because if it's normalized it's not going to be portrayed incorrectly or slanderously or negatively or stereotypically in games we wouldn't have this continued stigma people could talk about what they need get the help they need get the help they need and then move on um and similarly i i think normalizing it would be revolutionary to competitive gaming because if that's true it's like going to the doctor if your wrist hurts good do that. Also, in competitive gaming, if your body hurts from gaming, do something about it because that's not normal. So I think if we could look at it the same way we look at me medical health, I think it would be so much better. No, that's fantastic. I love that. And I mean, hopefully we're headed towards that. And with the work of organizations like Take This, at least, you know, there's somebody out in the crowd shouting about it, you know, and saying like, hey, you haven't noticed this is important you know look look at yeah. take it, look at it it's, it's here you know, so that's, that's fantastic um speaking of take this what can people do to engage with your organization or support the work you do how can people get involved and help out Sure. So on social media pages, you can find us at the handle Take This Org. Um, so on Twitter, it's at Take This Org. Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Take This Org, although now it's going to be meta, so I don't even know what that's going to look like. Um, <laughs> on, I think the, the only social media we really don't have is TikTok right now, and that's probably going to change soon. Um, but you can find us there and on YouTube. Um, you can also find us on Twitch tv slash take this org we have talks and let's plays with some of our clinical staff um so lots of great content there we also at our website www.takethis.org um, you can find everything from mental health resources a list of clinicians who have agreed that they are competent in gaming and and culture around that um, you can find some international resources and national resources for various needs um, 
so that would be a great hub to to go to and you can also find out about our ambassador program the afk room and all of the different works we're doing there um otherwise um i'm trying to think of how else possibly maybe email we have newsletters you could sign up <laughs> no that's great and um this is definitely not the, the most important thing on the list but how the heck can i get can anybody get one of those shield of hopes is that like an insider oh, thing or is no. it in your merch store no. or anything no. so this one is an insider one this was gifted to me from the clinical director and this was part of the like kickstarter of the first one that was ever made but you can actually find them so wormwood gaming with a y so um i'll send you the link later uh is is a woodworking games accessory company that also makes gaming tables and they make these shields of hope for us and then um sometimes if if you're very lucky when you buy one it will have a very special colored inlay like this or be an interesting combination um the tr i'm trying to see if i have i know i have another one right here hold on <laughs> what is it if you don't have more than one so they made of various woods and when you buy them you'll learn about the wood and the mission of take this and the card inside and then they're usually imprinted with the um the burned embossment so that's where you can find the Shields of Hope. Um, we also have pins from Beetle and Grimm. Um, so you can find some of our various merch, but you'll find the links for that too at takethis.org. So all the good Amazing. stuff. That's, that's my next <laughs> stop after this podcast recording. Yep, going to do it. <laughs> that's awesome. No, thank you it. so much, Sarah. Um, I did want to open the floor if there's anything else that you would like to talk about or cover while I still have you here. Um, the floor is yours. <laughs> Gosh, I feel like that just about covers it, but please feel free to check us out. If you're a person who is trained in psychology, feel free to volunteer. If you're not trained in psychology, we also have volunteer opportunities for you. Um, so we also have a Discord community. I almost forgot, um, but please get connected. If you feel so compelled, please donate. It's what gets us going and, and keeps us rolling and doing the work that we do. Um, and if nothing else, take care of yourself, take care of your health, and and it's gonna make everything about gaming better for you. So, yeah. Oh, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation and we appreciate you spending some time with us at the Knights and for our viewers. Um, and yeah, so we have a whole bunch of links, relevant links that Sarah discussed and just other great background info in the comments, not the comments, in the description below. So be sure to check them out um, and stay tuned because we'll have episode seven. Oh my gosh, it's the last episode of 2021. Woohoo! Crazy! What isn't happening with time anymore? <laughs> what is it? So be, uh, stay on the lookout for that. Um, we'll have some news and announcements about it coming out later. And if you haven't, and you're looking for something cool to do, we do have episodes one through five also available. So you can definitely check those out as well. But uh, <laughs> be safe, take care, be kind, and have a great rest of the day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, it's been a pleasure.